Who knew in the moment? The premise of the show is that as you're living your life, very rarely do you realize the magnitude of a moment while it's happening. However, in hindsight, we can see all of the pivotal moments that led to where we're at. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich, and today I am honored to have Satema Nali with me. Satema is a author, entrepreneur, Super Bowl champion, and one of the things that I think you're going to take away from his story is no matter what setbacks we have or tough times in life we have, as long as we don't give up, we can always reach a new pinnacle. And so I'm excited to highlight his story. So thanks so much for being on today, my man. Feel so excited to be here. Thank you so much. It is an honor to be on your podcast, and I'm looking forward to the conversation, my brother. Yes, sir. Now, in your younger years, you know, at about nine years old, your parents end up getting a divorce. And so there's a lot of things that just cause family dynamics to change when that happens. But there's also a lot of things that can change about us as people at a young, formidable age, such as nine years old with big life events. So talk a little bit about that phase of life and how that impacted you. You know, it tore me apart. Like, it hurt. Yeah, it was painful. I cried. It was just—I can't even explain. I was—it was so devastated. You know, all of a sudden, it's like, look, other people's kids, other other kids' parents get divorced, but not mine. And it was like the end of the world. It seemed like it. And you know, of course, they split, and then we're going back and forth between homes and. We're kind of doing our, you know, there's nine kids. So we're kind of raising ourselves because one parent's not there and one person parent's working. And it was a wake-up call. You know, the, the gift of the divorce, though, was like it always stayed inside of me that I was like, I'm going to marry one time. Like, I'm doing this once. Yeah. So if I get married later in life, so be it. I'm going to date. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I know what I want because I want to do this one time. And look, I don't have if divorce is the right path because it is for some people. There's yep. no question about it. Yep. But for me, the gift was one time, one time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, oftentimes what happens as a child when tough things in life are happening is we try and cling on to something and a it can be a sport, it can be a friendship, it can be academics, right? It can be non-good things that, that we cling on to. But for you, you started getting involved in sports. And I would love to say that, you know, right away, you were just diehard in love with football. But in the beginning, you were actually a little bit nervous to get, get called and put into the game. So talk about getting involved and started with sports. You know, th th this is a good message for athletes who are not early go-getters. Yeah. <laughs> so seventh seventh grade, right, football. I'm like, first time I'm ever playing tackle football. I get to the field. I got these brand new white Converse shoes. I remember these cleats. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be so good at football. <laughs> and we get out there in the warm-ups, and I had just eaten this huge meal before football. You know, I don't work out. It's just no one – we don't – it's different today. Right? Everyone trains. Right. I show up to football. I'm lightheaded. I'm like, I can't see, I can't breathe. And in the warmups, my coach is like, dude, just go down and walk. I'd literally lay on the ground. He's like, get up and walk. And I, I puke. Like I puke. And that was my first day of tackle football. I'm like, okay, okay. Then the second day, I'm like, I noticed something. My cardiovascular shape was non-existent. I don't know what it was about me, Polynesian. We just like... It was not there. <laughs> so I'm at the end all the time. I hate football. I'm praying to God, please let it thunder and rain so we don't practice. Please <laughs> let it, God, please let. And then my dad's like, time to go to practice. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I, I hated football. And in a game, they're like, so tell me you're in. I'm like, I did not want to go in. <laughs> and that was my first year of football. And I, when it was over, I was like, Oh my gosh, man! I'm I'm so glad it's it's done. And again, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer. I didn't really come around for about two three years, and then even then, I didn't really. It was my sophomore to junior year where I really my body caught up, and I started mm. to pass people. So, yeah, I'll just say this: though. if you're not great at sports in the beginning, it's okay because I wasn't either. I was horrible. <laughs> yes. 
Now, as you were progressing and getting more experience, there was also something that you started doing that was outside of the game of football that helped, and that was this red journal. So talk a little bit about where the idea of the red journal came from and what allowed you, you know, even at a young age to really buy into this thing. Man, you know, my father was a, a big Zig Ziglar guy. Yeah. You know, so see you at the top. And I had this journal and I started to just write my goals. Mm. So it was like ninth grade, something something came over me. It was the you know first year of high school. Yeah. And I'm actually, in, in, in where I went to high school, it was actually still junior high, seven, eight, nine. So I'm in high school at the junior high. I go to seminary. I'm starting to pray and read the word of God. But I had this journal and I just, I wrote what I wanted to be and mm. just like ambitious. And I wanted to get a scholarship to be what you, and I wanted to get straight A's and I wanted to be more kind and more humble. And I would write these things in this journal and look at them almost every day. And I would write, you know, part of my journal is like a, a travel. Like, oh, I woke up today. I had this for breakfast. Then there's other parts of my journal where it's like, I I'm going to be great. Yeah. I'm going to go build this amazing life. And and it's it's wild because we talked about this uh, this journal, right? Well, check this out. You know, it's, I'm looking in my bag and I've got. I always carry my previous journal and my new <laughs> journal. I love it. And I got a, and I got like a Sunday journal, like at home. So you know, I love to write and type my notes, and, and there's something powerful about getting your thoughts on the paper and just releasing the truth. Mm. And my my red journal was like epic right it was just like who i was in who i had a crush on and what i'm learning <laughs> from the gospel and my foot my my tears of sadness when we lost the game and yeah. that 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 ritual and uh, habit has carried on all the way till today i love it now to go back to what you'd said there was this jump between sophomore and juniors uh junior year where you were physically developing and that you know obviously helps all of the other aspects of your skill development as well. So talk a bit about when you knew, all right, going and playing college football was going to be an opportunity and not just college football, but, you know, at a, at a high level, you know, large division one school. You know, it seventh and eighth grade, I wasn't very good at football. I just yeah. wasn't, I didn't start. I started my set, my eighth grade year, but I wasn't even that good. Yeah. And from eighth to ninth grade, I grew, I think three or four, eight, like I, I went vertical. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I was playing receiver and cornerback in those first two grades. And now I'm playing offensive defensive line. I'm like <laughs> six, three, six, four. I'm, yeah. I'm the, my height. I am now I was back then. Yeah. And I was only like 170 pounds. And then it was like, I start. I was actually decent. You know, started mm -hmm. offensive line, defensive line. And I fell in love with the grind of the game. Cause when you're mm -hmm. good at something, you like it. Yeah. And when you're really good and get accolades and achievement and acknowledgement, you kind of love it. It, it fills your soul, strokes your ego, makes you feel good about yourself, builds confidence and experience. And it was um, like ninth grade. I'm like, I'm going to get a scholarship. But truth be told, second grade, third grade, I always dreamed of playing football at BYU. When cool. I was young, I just had these thoughts. I'm like, I would imagine myself on the football field at BYU yeah. with the BYU helmet waving like it was you know just some part of me was like that would be so cool like <laughs> I would be and then I tell people look if you got dreams if you have desires like a voice inside that says hey I want this thing like I tell people you'll never go get what you don't really want and yeah. everything we strive to achieve our heart there's a piece of us that wants it Mm. Like the way I live my life, I want it. So go back to high school. I'm like, I ninth grade. I'm like, I'm going to go get a scholarship. I just, I wrote it down and I've written yeah. a lot of goals down that I have not achieved. I want people to know that. It's yeah. not like every goal I write down, I'm going to go get one of my goals when I went to the NFL is I'm going to be all pro. Yeah. And that was like the shortest NFL career ever. Right. But it, I wanted it in, and uh, I'll tell you this from sophomore year to junior year. Yeah, I'm 170 pounds, six foot four. Season's done, and I decide to skip basketball. I'm not going to try mm. for basketball. I would have made the team. Yeah, but my whole thing was our coach came downstairs and he looks at us and he's like, "I'm going to switch my camera here." And he's like, "Some of you are going to be a starter next year." And in my mind, I'm like, "I'm going to be a starter." Yeah, I'm going to start varsity by junior year. There's guys that start varsity their freshman year. I just was not that developed of a kid. Mm. So I skip basketball, right? Start working out. 
And I go from 170 pounds to about 205 from wow. end of October to August. I eat and lift. My brother, I had a stepbrother. He came down to visit me and he always comes out in the summer. He sees me and not only am I taller than him now, he's just like, <laughs> he's like, dude, are you in roids? I'm like, no, it's called eating lots of food right. anytime, 24 seven. And I ne like real talk, Phil, I, I never missed a workout. Yeah. I never missed a workout. And here's one of the, the, the coolest silver linings. A, a lot of athletes and human beings don't get because I wasn't the most talented, because I wasn't the fastest, because I definitely wasn't the strongest. Yeah. I had to build my mind mm -hmm. and I had to build a work ethic. Yeah. That work ethic. Oh man, I'm telling you like that work ethic came to college with me, came to NFL with me. And it's in my current job and business yes. that like, I have, I'm like, I, I'll just outwork you. Like plain yeah. and simple, you can be faster, stronger, have more money, have a greater head start, have a greater upbringing. I will beat you because I will outwork you. Boom. And and that's so transferable. I love how you said, not just in sports, right? But that's translated into the yeah. professional life as well. So that's perfect. Now, going into BYU, um, you know, that transition from high school to college is always tough, right? Because you go from being, you know, the best or one of the very best. And now all of a sudden, everyone's that good. And there's a big difference between being 18 years old and being 23 or 24 years old. Uh, you know, that physical gap is different. But for you, that first year in the beginning was tough because of injuries. So talk a little bit about things outside of your control being the part that's sidelining you. Yeah, you know, so freshman year at BYU, I, I'm 205 pounds. The guys that I'm, the position that I'll be playing when I get older, they're like 260, 270. <laughs> right. And they look like these Adonis, like I'm like, I'm supposed to be doing that, going against 300, 320 pound guys. I'm, and I'm this tiny little skinny kid. Yeah. So freshman year happens, great. Go on, I could do a two year mission from a church. I redshirt my freshman year, but my and when I came off my mission, concussed, you know, again, you take two years off for a, a church mission. I didn't lift. I didn't run. I just did the work. Mm. I come back about 225 pounds. I go from 245. Again, let me tell this freshman year, same thing. I'm 205. End of freshman year, 245. Just like, I mean, people from high school are like, they're yeah. looking at me like, dude, like, whoa. Yeah. Man, I'm playing football. I'm eating all you can eat and lifting weights. So yeah. I come home from my two-year mission. I'm 225, body soft, and like fracture, concussion, um, pulled growing. Like I just, it was injured all year. Yeah. And that was hard, you know, it's like, yeah. and I even came back, I'm like, is, am I supposed to be playing this game? Like, what does mm. the game of football have to do with building God's kingdom? Like, wow. what is this? Like, you know, it's just like, it took me a minute. Yeah. And one of my mentors, his name is Chad Lewis, right? He was an all pro tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles. He works down at BYU. Good. Just a great man. But he says, hey, so, you know, he's in the NFL right now. So I'm in the training room training. He comes back from the NFL on, on a bye. And I'm like, dude, Jesse Lewis, what's up, baby? We're talking. And he goes, he was so zoned in. And he's like, so Tim, what do you want to do with your life? And of course, I'm like, I just want to build God's kingdom. I just want to help people, right? I yeah. just want to help people. And he's like, then you know what you need to do? I'm like, what? Because I'm like talking to him about, should I play football? And he goes, yeah. you need to win. He's like, you need to win mm. on the football field. Mm. He's like, you need to win on the football field because the more successful you are on the football field, the more that people listen to you. You need yeah. to be on the posters. You need to be the captain. You need to lead the conference. And like, he's just like building this vision. And I'm like, you're right. Yeah. So I decided to control what I could control. And then again, came in my sophomore year, phenomenal shape. And that was one of the greatest lessons I learned. He's like, if you want to impact, you better have like some authority yeah. and some success so that people will actually listen to you. Cause if you don't have that, not too many people listen to you. Mm, that's good. Yes. Yeah, so sophomore year, things started changing your junior year. You're a team captain, right? Well, and junior year, I'm a starter. So junior I start. Start. Okay. And uh, again, I'm splitting time with another guy who's great, good friend of mine. And again, I, I, by this time, going into my senior year, you know, at the end of my junior year, I have my fourth shoulder surgery. So I've got sh these shoulder surgeries. I've got these pulled like muscles that 
again, just every year, you know, football is a rough sport. Yeah. Business is a rough sport. Raising kids is a rough <laughs> sport, you know? Yeah. So going into my junior year, I start, I get double digit sacks on the year, hit my goals. Again, I wrote down 10 goals or 10 yeah. sacks, like 10 sacks, achieve that. And the last game of the season against Marshall in the bowl game, get three sacks. I'm at 10. I'm like, okay, okay. I have a shoulder surgery. Yeah. Then going into my senior year, again, shoulder surgery. Senior year rolls around, and Phil, I'm telling you, I was I was so ready. Like, I was in the best shape of my life. Abs popping, could just dunk a basketball easy, could run like a gazelle. I'm like, dude, I'm going to kill it this year. We're going to yeah. kill people. And fourth game of the season, reach out, dive to make a tackle. Boom, I separate my shoulder. And it, I mean, I was like, pain. Yeah. So now I'm, you know, practical all season with the separated shoulder. Second to last game of the season, I hit the quarterback, hit the ground, pop night, pops out of sockets, like boom, dislocated shoulder. I can't even do this. It's I'm, it's stuck. So I come out, doctor bends me over in a trash can, slides it back in. I go back in, pick up two sacks, conference leader of sacks, playing with a bum shoulder. And again, I was so, yeah, I was kind of discouraged my senior year because I'm like, mm -hmm. Lord, I'm, and again, I'm, you know, God, I, I'm doing all these things. Like, what, what's going on? Yeah. Why the shoulder surgeries? Like, I'm like, so I finished up my senior year and I have fifth, right? Dislocated, separated. They got to repair it. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people go through challenges. People go through tough times. And it's usually almost always not until we get through it. You know, they always say hindsight's twenty twenty. Yep. It's not until we get through it that we can look back and be like, oh my gosh, like I see the blessings. I see God's hands. I see yeah. where this was a gift. I see where I'm developing a mindset and a vision and, and a tenacity and resilience. And yeah. that was my career at BYU. It was like adversity, 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 but behind every adversity, was like benefits and blessings and mm -hmm. growth and opportunity. And I'm, I'm so thankful for those days, man. It, it molded me and it shaped me and prepared me for who I am today. I love it. Yes. Now, as the time is winding down, right? You mentioned, Hey, I was all conference or I'm leading the conference in sacks. So you're getting some notoriety and heading. If you have a good college career, the goal is to get to the NFL, right? I mean, that that's the next step. And yeah. so Heading into that, you end up becoming a undrafted uh, rookie, right? And so now you have the opportunity to see, well, where do I fit? And at the time, this team called the Patriots gives a gives a call and says, well, hey, maybe you should come check it out. Now, this isn't, you know, five rings into Tom Brady's career. Uh, this is the early part of it. So talk a little bit about, you know, making that decision yeah. to join the Patriots and uh, and that first year there. Well, I love it. I was actually working a sales job while I was rehabbing my shoulder. And my agent, same agent as Tom Brady's, Steve Dubin, Don Yee, Yee Dubin out of LA. And so they're like, look, Satana, we believe in you. We just need you to be ready. And when the call comes, because we'll get your workouts, then it's up to you if you're going to make it or not. I'm like, I'm ready. Yeah. So season starts, they're like, okay, the Patriots want to have you come work out. The 49ers want to have you come work out. The Eagles want to have you come work out. So I go work out for the Patriots. Right. I'm like, New England, where the heck is New England? I have no clue. Right. It's like way on the other side of the country. <laughs> I go work out for the 49ers. Then I work out for the Eagles. And at, by this time, I'm like, well, may maybe I maybe I should just move on with my life. And I'm just like, man, I just I want this so bad. And right about the time where I felt like I was like, maybe I need to move on. Patriots and Niners, like, hey, we're gonna cut a guy, we're gonna bring you in now. Like, mm -hmm. we want to fly you out now. I had given my word to the Patriots. And then the 49ers call and they're like, and I'm like, well, I, I gave my word to them. And the, the, the Niners guy was like, look, man, this is a business. Yeah. Right. That doesn't matter. Like, like this, just, we want you to come here. It's closer. We have more Super Bowl rings. We have that and that. He just went on and on. But my heart and the voice within, like, I just knew. Yeah. You're supposed to go to New England. And usually when it's the thing that I don't want to do, I know that's like, God, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> So I fly to New England, I accept there and get up there and we just keep winning. Like, brother, <laughs> we just keep winning. We got all these vets on the team, older guys, Brady's taking over the team, you know, Bledsoe yeah. gets hurt. 
Yeah. And like win, 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 win. We lost the last team we lost to was the St. Louis Rams in Foxborough, which yeah. of course, when that game was done, we knew we're like, we can beat this team. Yeah. Like we can play <laughs> with the greatest show on turf, right? And it was amazing. My so check this out, right? Because of my injuries in college, because that summer I'm not in an NFL camp, I learned how to play the piano which has served me so many, like I use it in church and just for music. I got to know this beautiful young single gal by the name of Lina, who ends up becoming my best friend. As a result, we end up getting married. And then I chose the, I got to choose and I chose the Patriots and then we went a Super Bowl. <laughs> and there were so many incredible blessings that came to my life because of the adversity. Yeah. And every adversity I face, I just tell people, look, embrace the adversity because inside of it are the seeds of greatness and the seeds of possibility. But if you hate the adversity, you never see the mm. blessings that come from it. And so, man, winning the Super Bowl with the Patriots was amazing. Like, it's just like Brady, Brewski, uh, Lori Malloy, Willie McGinnis, Ty Law, Brian Cox, all these, these amazing guys. And they were, th th these guys were a, a mature team. After the Super Bowl, they literally were like, hey, man, we ain't popping champagne. What is it? <laughs> we ain't doing that. I was like, I like it. <laughs> you know, guys, yeah. I, it was just, it was an amazing team, man. And so fortunate to be a part of that. Yeah. So what I want to kind of highlight, and this has been a consistent theme for you, you know, not everyone listening is going to have a faith life and, and, you know, that that that's all right. But the idea is going to be there. And that is, you know, you're using this discernment, right? Of like, all right. It, I'm hearing something from somebody. I'm hearing something from above, right? Like, what am I actually supposed to do here? You know, all right. I said I was going to go to the Patriots, but then the Niners call. Like, is that a is is that a sign? Am I supposed to go to the Niners? And I think for so many people, they live in this world of like, I'm afraid to make the wrong choice. That sometimes it prevents them from making any choice. And so, I guess just talk a little bit about discernment and making the right choice, the right choice, right? But then being yeah. able to reflect yeah. and say, all right. Maybe it didn't seem like the right choice, but it ended up being because of this. Man, thank you for this question. This is a, it's a big question because a lot of people, myself included, we still, we sometimes we sit, I, I liken to, I liken it like a fence. We're on this fence. Yeah. And you know, like people say, get off the fence, make a decision, go this way or this way. And so many times people sit on this fence and they, they'll ask God or they'll ask the universe or they'll ask 20 other people, what do you think I should do? Yeah when the power really is in the person to make a choice. Yeah. And I tell people, look, when, again, I teach this like so much. I'm like, look, you, the one of three things is going to happen when you decide to get off the fence. Number one, like, even if there's like five awesome options and you're like, Oh, how do I, and you try to do deductive reasoning, you try to figure it out and you pray and you fast and you talk to mentors, you, you have to actually decide. And so I'm like, look, one of three things. Number one, you make a choice, you get off the fence and you move. And first thing that happens is you start to move down this path only when you move down the path. Like when you actually take action, not, yeah. okay, I'm going to do this. Is this right? No, you have to actually move. First thing that's going to happen is you're going to know right away. This is not right. Yeah. And you'll, and you'll know that, right? You, you, there's this intuition, this gut feeling this feeling this these thoughts should be like oh okay but you only know that it's not right because you took action yep second thing that happens is as you make a decision and move i call it choose and move choosing as you start to move down the path you'll realize like okay this isn't right but you're gonna see another option only because you took action Yes. Some answers we never see until we move down the path. And sometimes it's two months, three months. Sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it's a year. Yeah. But then we see a different option. We're like, that's the thing I'm supposed to go. So you pivot and you go. Yeah. Third thing that takes place when you choose and move is you're going. It's dark. Not dark as an evil. You just can't yeah. see. You're like you're operating by faith and belief. And you're like, I just, I'm going to keep, I, I don't have an answer. It's not, no, it's not. And all of a sudden something happens where, the lights come on yeah and you're like this is the right path oh my gosh but you never know it's the right path until time has transpired and you have gone forward so 
choose and move, get off the fence. And so many people lose opportunity because they're waiting for the universe or they're waiting for God or they're waiting for something. I'm like, no, you have to choose and decide. And only then when you begin to move, it's not right. It's something else or it is right. Yeah. I love that. You know, the, the analogy that I always like to use on like taking action is if I'm sitting in a parked car and I don't know what direction to go on the way to go, if I just continue to sit in my parked car, I, I'm never going to know if I, you know, where to go because nothing's changing. If I start going and I turn and I realize, oh, you know, crap, I was supposed to turn the other way. Like, great. I at least took enough action to know which way I was supposed to go. Right. But yes. so many people just sit in the parked car <laughs> trying to figure it out. And it's like, well, no, even if you take the wrong turn, you can always turn around. You can get on on course, but you, it's better to take a wrong turn than to not take any turn at all, in my opinion. Yes, 100%. Like another, I, I love that one, right? The the map appears when the car is in motion. Mm, yeah, that's like good. You actually have to go. So like a GPS would be like, yeah. okay, move. The moment you start to move, then it starts to calculate. Okay, turn yeah. right, turn left, turn, turn right, right. So yeah, making a decision is 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 critical for growth, yes. expansion, and results. Yes. Now, the other part that I want to highlight in your story is sometimes things are good for a season, but they're not good for forever. And that can be a tough thing for someone to realize is that, man, there's been so many great opportunities that have come from football. This is what I'm supposed to do for forever. But after that first year, it, it it's a end of an era of you playing football at the highest level. So talk a little bit about that. You know, hey, yep. this has been something that's opened so many doors for me. I felt like, you know, when Mr. Lewis came back and told me, hey, you just got to be better at it. Keep going. Uh, you know, it opened a lot of doors, but eventually it just was not the the next phase of your life for you. So talk a little bit about being able to have something that's great and then something that comes to an end and it, it was a part of an era. Yeah. So I'll share it like this. You know, they say there's like good, better, and best, right? There's yeah. good things, there's better things, and there's best things. And when it's the analogy I love to use is when you're dating someone, right? Hmm. When it's time to break up, break up. Yeah. When you know it's not right, break up. Because the longer you hold on to a relationship or yeah. a job or a path, or anything yeah. when you're it's not right for a season it was right yeah but when it's time to break up or move on you have to let go in order to move on and yeah. I, I learned this the hard way right when i was dating i just i held on to some relationships i just i knew it wasn't right i knew i would never marry this person mm. but i was so afraid to lose this person yeah and i didn't want to hurt their feelings and, the, and, and, and again it just caused a lot of heartache it's the same thing with any job Right. Like there's this lost opportunity cost. If you continue to stay in a job or a relationship or in an industry, when you know I'm supposed to be over there, you're losing all, there's this opportunity. It's costing you emotional happiness, success, money, uh, growth. So look, you've got the greatest thing you can do when it's time to move on move on, like cut, let go, release and go. And this happened in football. This happened in mortgages. This happened in the door-to-door industry. Right. Every time I let go, like another door would open. And if I tried to stay in that industry too long, I would suffer and be on a plateau. And I loved after the door-to-door industry, three years and that I had a five-year plan. And again, five years, I'm going to go do this. And then I'll reassess. Well, after three, I knew it. It was like, it's time to go. I'm like, what? Like I got two more years, man. I like this. My plan is two more years. And the voice was like, no, the time is now. And I knew Mm -hmm. that if I didn't listen, I'd lose. Same thing when we moved from orange, uh, Utah County in Utah to orange County, I knew it was time to move. Same thing after six years there, it's time to go from orange County, California to Okaloosa County, Florida. And we moved. Yeah. So this constant theme of just when it's time to move, move Mm. go if you choose not to you suffer you lose there's consequences and a cost emotional cost financial cost health cost. so just move go have the courage to have the faith to just leap and go i i love that and one of the things that you know really stands out to me as you say that is 
I think so many people, it's the fear of the unknown that keeps us in the comfort of the known, even if it limits what we're capable of, or even if it limits what opportunities I have. It's like, man, moving from California to Florida, I mean, there's so much unknown and what happens? Who am I going to be with? You know, like what, what opportunities are there? I guess I can handle where I'm at, right? I guess I can continue. This isn't so bad that it's worth giving up to go to the unknown, even if it could be better. That unknown, like that fear, that doubt, for me, it's like, it's just warfare against us. Yeah. We cannot grow if we stay in the same place. I love it. We have to move. We have to level up. We have to let go of things and stuff and even relationships and partnerships and habits, right? Again, the whole purpose is to grow. Yep. to level up so if people will again just it's always scary yeah. everything is scary but you can either look at the scary piece the unknown or the endless possibilities of what might be what could be if i just take the leap of faith i love it yes so as you're transitioning out of football um as a, as a player you transition and you say all right well how can my skill set really be used well and <laughs> go ahead go ahead no i'm just dude when football was done i sat in my mom's basement with college degree in one hand super bowl ring on the other hand for like a week so embarrassed Mm. i was embarrassed i was like dude i'm done with the nfl i failed now what like what do i do i had no clue but i had zero clue like what now yeah what do i do i had like i never done a resume i never had it my only job was the nfl yeah. So I'm like, what do I do with my life? And it was, it was hard. Yeah. Now, crazy thing is in my heart, I knew what I wanted to do. It's what I do today. I didn't know how to vocalize it or verbalize it. There was, it was, you know, back in 2003, it's not like it is today. There's right. courses on everything, master classes, courses, yeah. YouTube, how to's and so back then I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I film to tell you, man, that's a tough when you're done with the relationship or a job and you're in a phase of life where you're like, what's next? Oh man, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I was a telemarketer with leads, call cold calling people trying to sell them stuff in a warehouse. I'm like, so this is this is what I'm doing now? Like, re- really? This is yeah. what I'm doing? I went all this experiences and now I'm in there on a headset. Like, so I have this cool program that's going to help you. And I'm reading the script and I'm just like, this, no, heck no, no way. And unfortunately, a good friend of mine was doing mortgages and he yeah. holds up a check for like 30 grand. I was like, whoa, dude, yeah. what, what, what was that like last year? He's like, dude, that was like last week. What? What are you doing? He's like, I'm doing mortgages. I'm like, what the heck's a mortgage? I had no clue what a mortgage was, right? Yeah. Go figure. So I jump into the mortgage industry. Mortgages lead to real estate. Real estate leads to hard money, land development. And just over 2004, 2005, 2006, into 2007, we have this four-year run, which is like unbelievable. Like a lot of money, right? Multiple seven figures. It was insane. And even the whole time we've got these cars and homes and real estate and like money's not an issue. I'm like, okay, this is cool, but this is not what I'm supposed to do. Mm. You know, like, I, like, so I, I, I knew this is not like, this is wrong, not wrong, but it yeah. was off. Yeah. I was like, got all this money, but I hate doing mortgages. I don't even like real estate. And what I really felt called to do was what I do today. Yeah. Right. To coach, to build, to liberate leaders, mm-hmm. right? To help our leaders, our our clients to build wealth, create yeah. memories, and to expand their legacy. And I didn't know how to do it back then. But I tell you what, man, like the transition from football to more, I mean, it was, I'm like, I'm a freaking loser. I don't even know how to do half. I don't know what's a resume. I have no, yeah. like it was insane. And yet. I took all my skill sets from like the, the mindset. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll outwork you. I'll yep. figure it out. And I, I mean, we built an amazing little empire 
obviously lost it all, crashed and burned, rebuilt it, and here we are. And it's an amazing journey. Now, you say it so simply, and once again, that's the benefit of time <laughs> and hindsight, right? Like, you, we, we know it ends up working out, otherwise you wouldn't be on the show. But in 2009, uh, after, once again, the whole real estate and e economic collapse happens, your, your wife asks you a tough question, and that is, would you be willing to sell the Super Bowl ring to financially help us? Yeah. Well, it was like this. It was like, I'm yelling at myself. We're in a 900. So we go from these six and 8,000 square foot homes. Yeah. Brand new cars. We're in a 900 square foot townhome. Hmm. Well, I'm barely, I, I think we're, I was making like 30 or 40 grand that year. Like we were broke. And I can't even pay them, barely pay the rent. Rent was like 1200 bucks. I couldn't even barely pay that. My father-in-law bought us a car. Like, the, like, like we can barely pay the bills. And I am depressed. I'm just like, how did I lose everything? Like, well, how did I get here? And I, could, I was yeah. so shell-shocked. Like, I was so numb. And my wife, the real question, she's like, uh, what are we going to do? Mm. What was that like? She was like, what are we going to do? And not what, like, she just said, what are we going to do? And I knew there's like only one thing that had real value, like monetary value. Yeah. Was my ring. So I get online. I find this collector in New York city. I call him up, have a conversation with him. My wife drives me to the airport in the car that her dad bought us. I'm bawling like a baby, man. Like, you know, it's like, I'm embarrassed. Like I've lost right. it all. I've lost the cars. I've lost the homes, all the homes, all the properties. I'm about to sell a Super Bowl ring. Like it's hard to get a ring. And I cried the whole way, man. Like it was, it was so painful. Cause mm. if anyone knows what it takes to get to the NFL, first of all, it's hard Right. to get on a winning team. It's hard to get to the playoffs. It's hard. And then to win the whole dang thing. Like, it's not like some easy thing. You can tell me, I remember Brady after the, he lost to the Giants the second time, he was like, maybe I'll never get another ring. This is right. hard. Yeah. And he's now like 12, 13 years in the league. And so sell the ring, 2009. Mm -hmm. The money I get from that, it goes fast. I'm trying to, I, I put like five grand here, eight grand. And I'm going to build a business. I'm going to do this thing. I was wrong, dead wrong. By 2010, I filed a bankruptcy, you know, eight figure bank, big, big bankruptcy, just properties and land and just like, ah, uh, and by 2011, right? So ring's gone, yeah. we're bankrupt. We, we had a year on EBT, which is food stamps, government assistance. And my confidence is like zero. Now, how does yeah. a man who like the top of the top in college to the to pinnacle in the NFL, top in real estate mortgage, I like, I am at zero. Zero belief, zero confidence. 35 years old, I got two kids. Yeah. And I get recruited like every three years in a row. This guy comes to recruit me to go knock doors. And I'm just too egotistical. I'm like, I'd never said this to him. And I'm like, I'm never, that's that's beneath me. Uh, no, I'm Satan Ali. And finally, the third year in 2011, he recruits me one more time to go knock. And something was like, just go have lunch with him again. Yeah. Get, at least get a free lunch. So we're sitting at this this restaurant in Provo, Utah, and he's like trying to get me to go knock door to door. And again, I'm so humbled. Like circumstances can really humble you, right? Yeah. When you try and try and try and fail and fail, we're like like four, going on four years of being broke. Eight, nine, ten, now into eleven. So he asked me this question, and he's you know he's he's a master recruiter. The question that changed my life with him was. How much money would you need to make over the next 20 weeks for me to get you to come do this thing? How mm. much would you have to make for it to be worth it? Mm. And brother, I didn't even hesitate, right? I literally, I'm like, 100 grand. And he goes, hits the table. He's like, I can get you there. And I'm like, really? 100 grand in like 20 weeks? Yeah. He's like, 100% commission. It'll be harder than anything you've ever done. But, you know, he's a recruiter. He's like, dude, athletes, they dominate this thing. You're going to dominate this thing. You've already you've already had success. You're older than the average door knocker. Door knockers are in their 20s, right? Early 20s, right. late 20s. 
I'm 35, married with two kids, already run a business. So he's like, yeah, just come to HQ. So he signs me up and and I'm like, okay, go to the head, the, the company building sign in. He, he said, bring your wife to my house, show up to his house, you know, $2 million home, brand new cars, young kid, fire pit in the back. I'm like, of course, on the outside, I'm all cool, right? Poker face, but I'm, yeah. I'm like, dang, man, <laughs> this kid is doing it. Uh, yeah. I'm just afraid, man. Like, I'm just nervous. I'm like, what if I fail? What if I can't do this? What if I can't sell? Like, it's a hundred percent commission, yeah. and I got to recruit guys, and I got to sell accounts, and I got to help my guys. I've, you know, never done this before. My wife looks at me. Best thing, right? She looks at me, puts her hand on my shoulder. She's like, "Love." Like we call each other love. She's like, "Love, you can do this." Mm. I know you can do this. I know, like, you can do this. And uh, the guy who recruited me, Casey, he was like, don't even make a summer decision yet. So he's already lunch, wife, headquarters sign up. He's like, drive to Idaho and just work with our regional trainer and just watch him do a couple of sales. Let's just see if you, just see if you, if you think you can do it. Again, just small, simple steps. So we get in the car, look in the bank account. I'm like, I think we have enough money for like, three tanks of gas, a hotel, we'll eat the free hotel food. And I'm just like, I'm so emotional because I'm like, man, we were broke. Yeah. And part of me was broken. So we drive to Idaho, check in. I go watch this guy do a couple sales. I'm like, huh. I study the manual till like midnight. I'm going through the, you know, they create this thick manual. Yeah. Most people don't. I'm like, I'm a student. I'm a home. Yeah. yeah. I'm studying this. I'm memorizing it. Next morning we go out and watch him get another cell. I'm like, okay, I, I, I knocked by myself for probably two hours. It's snowing in Idaho. It's like March. Call my wife up, come pick me up. Let's roll. So she packs up the two kids. I get in the car and I look at her and I'm like, I can do this. So we drive home. And a month later, I fly to North Carolina, South Carolina, Greenville. And my summer starts and brother, that changed my whole world. Yeah. <laughs> We were, I looked at my wife. I, so here's the plan. I'm going to fly out there in April to get a head start. End of our lease, end of May. She's going to pack up our little 900 square foot townhome, put stuff in stores and drive across the country with two young kids. Yeah. And uh, I looked at her and I'm like, this is it. I ain't coming back. Like we are going to go win this summer. And I promise you. I, no one will work like me. Ain't nobody. And it was the football mentality. I'll just yeah. outwork you. Right. I'll just outwork you. You like I will study and read and practice. And uh it's amazing because it worked, man. Like I got out there and oh uh, man, that that summer changed my life, man. Yeah. Uh, it changed my world. Everything changed everything. So so there's so much to unpack from that. But one of the things that I think is the most interesting is what we started with was. A nine-year-old, as a nine-year-old, seeing, you know, your parents go through a divorce, all of a sudden you decide, hey, the person I'm going to marry is only happening once. I'm not going to do this thing twice. And you hear all of the things that you and your wife went through, right? I mean, obviously there are some rocket, you know, mountaintop moments there. Winning a Super Bowl, that's a mountaintop moment. Having multiple cars, multiple homes, you know, mountaintop moment. But then when you're in like pretty much the lowest spot you can be in, she's still saying, I believe in you. You know, she hasn't changed her attitude towards you, right? She's not saying, who the heck did I marry? I thought I was marrying, you know, some big football player. I thought I was marrying some great <laughs> businessman and who who's here now, right? She goes, love, right? You know, your term, right? I believe in you. You can do this. And so talk a little bit about that in your guys' relationship and, you know, how that creates just this strong foundation for what you've been able to build. Yeah, man, beautiful. I love talking about my goddess, right? I refer to her as my goddess. And my best friend, we got three kids. And because of the divorce, right? That The divorce, it really shaped the desires of my heart. Because I'm like, all right, cool. I know what I want. Yeah. Like, I, I'm a man who's clear about what I want for my life. And what I want is to be in a marriage that is uh, electric, right? There's chemistry and connection. There's communication, mm. unafraid to confront and collide if needed. I want a, a relationship where we are like we we touch and we kiss and we love and we talk and we spend time and like we are. The, she's the the top and the center of my world. 
like the high priority, the, the, the priority yeah. more than my sons. And, and my sons know I'm like, look, I'm going to show you how a man does it. Yeah. When you wake up, I'll be gone to the gym and I work and I travel and I build. You're going to be, I date mama every week. You see me hugging and kissing my wife, like your mom all the time. And I just knew what I didn't want. Mm. If, if you're having a hard time with, hey, what do I want? You're like, I don't know. Then just say, well, what do you not want for? Yes. And for sure, I didn't want to be roommates. Yep. I didn't want to be out of love. And I didn't want to just be existing with a woman. Yeah, I wanted to be in love. I wanted there to be passion and connection and real grit and commitment. Being on the same team, same page, same direction, going like just moving together. And, and we've been married 17 years. And it's like, I love... Like, yeah, we have our, every couple has their moments, but I'm, I'll say sorry. It's like fast. Like, yeah, I'm nothing about it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Yep. And even if I'm not wrong, I'm going to go apologize so we can be good. I don't like being in grudges. I don't like silent treatments. I don't like when we're mad at each other. Like, why, why would we stay mad? Right. That's like falling in water and staying in water. Then you drown <laughs> and die. I'm like, no, if we fall or, or something happens to our marriage, we know what we want. We're nope. clear about how we have these agreements. So there's no, there's no time or the time is minimized and very small where there's a misunderstanding. Yeah. And like, I just, I know what I want. I and love I'm it. committed to that every single day. And that's to having the most amazing, right? Showing up as a world-class five-star husband who loves on his wife every single day. She's my priority. She's the center of my world. I take care of her. I provide a living for her. I do this. I, and again, I asked her a question today. Uh, is there something I can do better to serve you? And she's like, no, love. You're fine. I was like, are you sure? Yeah. She's the guy to let me know so I can take care of your needs. And that's what I want. What I love I want. it. That's good. Great advice. Now, in 2013, uh, so, you know, we're fast forward a couple of years. We've been working. Uh, you get the opportunity to tell your story at a uh, at a church event. So talk a little bit about this speaking opportunity and that being a catalyst for, you know, your passion to share your story. Yeah, like, I started sharing that for the first time ever, I, I, I start to share about the, the journey we were on. We're in 2013. I am uh, in Iowa knocking doors, third summer. And we got three boys now. My, my youngest was born in Texas in 2012. So we're three sons. And we're speaking at a, and like any anytime I go to a city, I'll, I'm like, I'll volunteer. Hey, do you need me to teach? Do you need me to speak? Whatever I can do to help. And I'll volunteer me and my family to sing and to talk. And yeah. I'm getting up and I'm, I share the truth. I've shared it with some of the guys, but for the first time I finally say, I actually sold my Super Bowl ring, was bankrupt, was broke. And the reason I'm knocking doors is because this was the vehicle to get me out of that. And it's, you know, the doors, the door-to-door -door industry has been lifesaver, a game changer, like my own yeah. road to Damascus, the, my own wilderness. And I shared that and it was liberating. Like, yeah, to just actually tell the truth. You know, the truth, like unfiltered, just this is where I've been. This is yeah. who I really am. And my wife was like, I can't believe you told that. They <laughs> told people, I'm like, I know, right? And and now I just, I have no problem sharing it because people need to know, like, you're going to get hit in the mouth. You're going to get kicked in the stomach. You're going to get punched in the teeth in life, like literally and figuratively. And a lot of people, they get hit and they just fall and they stay down. And for me, I'm like, no, man, like you get back up and you see what you're made of. And you move forward and you hit back. And like one of my good friends says, is like, you have to, you, you do have to learn how to fight. You won't win every fight, yep. but you do need to learn how to fight. And I've been fighting since and just every day and, and moving and, and doing what's required and staying committed and overcoming diversity. And I mean, here we are 2023, man, 10 years later, like it has been the last 10 to 13 years since the bankruptcy, even 14 years to sell in the ring. Like it has been the most amazing journey. My sons, they only know the life that they live, which is an amazing life. Yeah. There's no, I, I mean, we, they're, they're always like, we're rich dad. I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> and I take yeah. that from Shaq, right? When Shaq's yep. kids are like, we rich yeah. dad. He's like, no, 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 no. 
I'm rich, you're rich. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I tell them, I'm like, that's, that's a relative thing. And I'm like, yeah. we're rich in blessings and love and happiness. And you know, if there's one thing I could share with people, it's like, look, you, you just can't, you cannot ever give up. You cannot give up hope. You cannot give up believing. You can't give up and like, you may stop for a season and rest and just kind of recalibrate, reset. Man, I just, I love what Martin Luther King said. I have a dream. Mm. He didn't say, I have a plan and a strategy. He's like, yep. I have a dream. Yeah. And it's the dreams where like, we just, ambition and vision and possibility. And I never gave up. And I look back, I'm like, man, I'm so glad I didn't give up. I have clients that come to our programs. They sit right in our, in our HQ here, just behind us, we have the stage. And the clients will be in tears and they're looking at me and they're like, thank you for listening to the voice. Thank you for not giving up because of you, my marriage, my family, my business, my life, my purpose. I'm like, oh, I just get, I, my tears flow. I'm like, I'll never give up. I'll never give up. Like never, ever. I'm, there, there is no give up. And even when I pass on and move on to the next life, I'm hoping that my books and programs, like the legacy just, and what I leave inside of my sons and grandkids, like that just continues to move the work forward. Yes. Well, there's no doubt that you are doing that with so many people and you will continue to do that with a lot of people. And, you know, just as you're speaking, the thing that stood out to me is um, a phrase that a good friend of mine always shares. And he goes, Phil, we admire people from a distance and we connect with them when we get to know their real story. Right. Um, you know, I can say, man, I admire everything you've done, man. It's, you know, you won a Super Bowl, you played big D1 football, you know, you've run successful businesses, but really the connection happens when you get to know people and you've been able to let that guard down, let people in. And that's what transforms and changes people's lives. Yeah, Phil, it, it has been, and it's not an easy path. You know, it's obviously easier looking back right now because yeah. we're in a different place financially and a different place with just uh, emotionally and intellectually and spiritually. But if, if there's someone in their late teens or their twenties, even thirties or even their forties, who's just searching, who's feeling stuck and just like, ah, like, what's the purpose of my life and or they're struggling with some type of addiction or you know depression or just something or their marriage isn't what they want it to be or their money or their health like my, my worst thing is going to be the same like you you will only like you'll only ever live the life that you choose to create yep like you're you're you are creating the life so if you don't like your life today Look at the past, be like, okay, I'm going to learn some lessons. I'm going to change. And if I want a different future, I got to behave that today. I got to do work today. And if people will just keep that faith or that belief, like this dude who looked like the rock, right? September, this guy talking about his story. If he's, if he could do it, if Phil could do it, if, you know, whoever else could do it, there's a possibility that I could do it too. And there is like, I want you to know, if you're listening to yeah. this, you are in charge and yes. you might need to retrain your mind. You might need to hire some mentors. You might, might need investors. You you might need to go get a job just yeah. to get some money coming just to start again. Like I, my job again, 100% commission. So it was like pure 1099, like door to door sales. Yeah. I sell, we eat. I don't sell. <laughs> we don't eat. Yes. Well, go check his book out, Winning the Game. Uh, you know, find him and check out his courses as well. But Satema, thank you again so much for hopping on and sharing your story, man. Excited to continue to watch your journey. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to do this again in a year or two when another book's out there, a different course, and uh, you just continue to crush it. Appreciate it, man. God bless, man. Take care. Keep up the great work, Phil.